Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it Welcome, everybody, to another live stream edition of Liberty Lockdown Rumble exclusive because YouTube hates truth. We're back with Guy Swan of Bitcoin Audible, as well as Greg Foss, the bond trading extraordinaire. The fucking world is melting down. And in September, I had these two gentlemen on to warn us as to what might unfold. And goodness gracious, I listened back to it today and we fucking crushed it. (laughs) We absolutely crushed it. Uh, So if you took our advice from that, you are miles ahead. And I hope you will listen attentively to what we have to say today. Anyways, Greg, welcome aboard. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me again. I look forward to this conversation. Hell yeah, man. And Guy Swan, what's going on, man? What's up, boss? How you doing, man? I'm doing better than most, but uh, a lot of people are hurting <laughs> right now. I guess, I guess we'll start with, with the why of the hurt. And I think that it'll be interesting to get Greg's expertise here. I, I've already explained it as best I can, but it, for the, the expert explanation as to why the bond market has uh, blown up a handful of banks and looks like it may be on track to blow up some more, if you wouldn't mind informing my audience. Well, certainly, um, basically what's happened within a lot of the uh, U.S. banking system is they uh, used uh, short-term deposits to fund the purchase of longer-term treasury debt. Now, um, to make things very clear, Uh, most capital guidelines for banks are set based on a credit risk, uh, uh, call it an evaluation and U S treasury debt has very low credit risk. And for the import, uh, for the purpose of BIS capital guidelines, in fact, banks can carry them with next to zero capital requirements, which means you earn an interest margin and you don't have to have any capital against it in theory, your return on capital is infinite, right? So the banks were attracted to this uh, using deposits for longer-term treasury purchases. The problem happened when long-term treasury bond prices got crushed as interest rates went higher. And then when depositors wanted their money back, uh, they had to sell these securities at a loss. And everything works fine if it's held to maturity, but if you have to liquidate your portfolio, when interest rates go higher, bond prices go lower and they had purchased these securities over, you know, over a period of time, starting many years ago. And in the case of Silicon Valley bank, for example, the average coupon was something like 1.78%. And right now open market rates on us treasury bonds in the 10 year are, almost 200 basis points more than that. And when a 10-year bond uh, is hit with an increase in interest rates of 200 basis points or 2%, that bond will fall by about, call it $18, okay? So a bond that they purchased at par at issue is now trading for 82 cents on the dollar. When depositors want their money back, they have to liquidate that bond meaning sell it into the open market for 82 cents on the dollar and crystallize a loss of 18 cents on the dollar. It gets much worse if they're 30 year bonds. Okay. Because the longer the duration bond, the more sensitive it is to a change in interest rate price sensitive. So this was a portfolio that uh, was way offside. It was interest rate risk. I need people to understand it was an interest rate risk mismatch 
not a credit risk concern. Now, the banks still have credit risk, but this was an interest rate mark-to-market loss and selling begets selling, right? Uh Uh-oh, the depositors say, I want my money back. They have to sell. The, the, uh, The bank says, I'm taking a loss on the sale. People say, you're taking a loss. I want my money back. So there goes the run. And selling begets selling. So um, it was a run on the banks, Silicon Valley Bank in particular, but every other bank in America has similar problems if they have a held to maturity uh, portfolio. And in fact, the four largest banks have multiple, multiple tens of billions of dollars of uh, unrealized losses on their held to maturity um, uh, securities. That being said, they are not being faced with a run because the depositors are tending to take their money out of the smaller banks and deposit them with the bigger banks like Bank America, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, Citibank, Wells Fargo, for example. So it's a you know it's a reshuffling of the deck chairs on the Titanic, right? Um, and uh, but all the banks are exposed to these same problems. Are they are they moving? those funds to the big five or six banks just with the implicit uh, guarantee that the Federal Reserve or the Great Treasury question. or whoever yeah. will bail them out? Is that kind Great of the, question. the reason? So they, basically there's a, a very smart young lady, younger lady than me, um, Lynn Alden, who I know Guy knows. Uh, and, and Lynn has basically qualified it as the development of a two-tiered banking system. You have the the big boys, uh, who are too big to fail, right? Right. Um, there's no question that there's, you know, the systemically important banks, they're called GSIBs, globally systemically important bank, of mm. which the four that I mentioned are definitely part of that. Um, having a deposit in one of those banks, if you're too big to fail, means you have implicit government backstops, sh- could be viewed by depositors as that's more safe than holding a similar size deposit in a community bank or even, you know, a Silicon Valley bank, who I think was the 18th largest bank in the US, 18th to 20th largest as measured by assets. So it wasn't small, right. but it just wasn't one of these mega, uh, you know, you, they used to be called money center banks, call them mega, mega banks now in the USA. Well, uh, it creates a terrible incentive structure where, you know, as you have a run on the, the mid and smaller banks, uh, the biggest, you know, too big to fail banks, which are crony and scummy and shitty, uh, they they benefit uh, tremendously, and it basically papers over the losses that they're likely sitting on on their, you know, treasury or their debt holdings as well. And it's and a I, hugely centralizing force, right? Like, right. Like, and, and like that money in- pours out of the small and medium sized banks, right. all like they flood back into the large banks. Am I being too conspiratorial to think that perhaps this was uh, intentional in some form or fashion, or is this just how a shitty system is structured and it becomes shittier over time? Go ahead, guy. I think it's... It's Not not that it really matters, but I'm just curious. It's certainly convenient, but I think it's largely just a really, really crappy culture and crappy set of financial and business practices that have been rewarded and bailed out and propped that they've just become normal. Right. Like it's, it's literally horrible, unethical practice that has been normalized. And in fact, you can't even get as Caitlin long proved, 
you can't it you don't even get approved for responsible banking practices for a fully backed like no leverage no fractional anything you don't even get you won't even get a charter because you're just you're threatening the culture you know mm -hmm. like you're you're not you're not playing the game that everybody else is playing it's kind of like this mutually assured destruction culture of finance somehow Right. Where everybody has to be equally irresponsible or you're not allowed to play because you just you're showing up <laughs> and, you know, making everybody else look bad, basically. Um, so, you know, you know how, such how a painful mess. it was. I, I literally on my most recent episode, I advised because I had a bunch of people asking me because my finance background, they're like, where should I put my money, Clint? And I was like, J.P. Morgan Chase. Like I, I answered that way. And you know how like painful that is for me? I mean, obviously, I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, Bitcoin it's a, yeah. or, you know, you have other options, but I'm saying like, they were asking me specifically, what bank do I think is most likely to get your deposits back? And I'm like, from a fiat perspective, yeah. JP Morgan Chase. God damn it. Yeah. I hate saying that shit. Yeah. But here's anyway, the thing. Banking, banking at, at every level, banking is a very risky business. Okay. And it's particularly risky when it's staffed by incompetent managers. Now yeah. I will absolutely give credit where credit is due having traded with the JP Morgans and the Citibanks of the world. And yeah, that was their investment bank, but they are much smarter risk takers than some of these smaller banks. Okay. Sure. Uh, if you just look at the management team of the Silicon Valley bank, uh, it, it's almost too funny to be true. I mean, one of the guys came from Lehman brothers. He was the <laughs> chief risk officer, but he was some, Something at Lehman Brothers, which certainly shouldn't be a, a badge of honor. He was the CFO of Lehman. Okay, there you go. So, <laughs> so the, uh, crazy. Well, he was CFO of the new bank. I don't think he was the CFO of Lehman, but maybe I'm wrong there. But uh, even they, so. they, the second in command was a guy from uh, uh, Deutsche Bank. And then the third guy was a analyst at uh, Freddie Mac. And then even the CEO was his claim to fame is he's on the board of uh, – uh, directors at the the San Francisco Fed, right? Like, right. and then you have this uh, interest rate mismatch that looks really good when you have an upward sloping yield curve, but as soon as the yield curve inverts, and you know you're getting squeezed on your profitability, uh, you know on both ends, you're uh, you're in big trouble. And can, can the, you ex can can you explain real quick why they wouldn't have had a hedge on that that book? I mean, uh, either that hedge. very hard to hedge. So, oh, so maybe you can explain that. Well, okay, I, I, you know, I can't because you have to go through the swaps market and okay. you have to match, you know, you, you take fixed floating uh, exposures and you match everything. And even the best banks, though, even the best banks, it's a bit of a, you know, a, a, a dark area where, oh, we're hedged. Come on. You know, okay. you're hedged and wedged. You're not actually hedged. You have a lot of wedges in there and these wedges are makeshift little things that are supposed to, to work out, but they never do. And, and that's just the nature of, uh, of, of banking when you can have a yield curve that not only does it, it could move up and down, uh, it, you know, it, incrementally across, or it can change shape and it's like a piece of spaghetti. And so, you know, this hedged and wedged thing is like, oh man, I thought the yield curve was supposed to move in a parallel shift. And all of a sudden, you know, it inverted and everything like this. So like, a I will bit of promise an art you instead of a science. It, there's no question because okay. you you have to anticipate things like new money coming in. One of the biggest problems with Silicon Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, is it was growing too quickly. So it had too many people putting giving it deposits, and it was scrambling to deploy these deposits in some sort of interest, net interest margin creating 
activity. Right. Now you could do it in loans or you could do it in U.S. Treasury bonds. And don't forget, when you do it in a loan, you have to own, hold capital against that loan. If you do it in U.S. Treasury bonds, again, there's no BIS capital requirement. So, boy, it looks pretty sexy, doesn't it? Because you can right. have an infinite return on capital on that quote unquote loan, but it's not just a loan. It's a loan to the U.S. government and therefore doesn't require risk capital. Totally wrong. But those are the regulatory uh, laws that tell you that's how you're supposed to manage your risk. Yeah, I think that was the thing that went probably most underreported is that what they were doing was essentially what they were being told to do, which is yeah. you can have your your savings, your your I mean, your depositors capital. You can either put it with a Fed bank as cash or you can uh, put it into, you know, treasuries or debt instruments. And they, they classify that when they do stress tests and things of that nature. They classify them the exact same way. And I find that fascinating that, you know, obviously cash and a debt instrument are not the same thing. And yet by the regulator standards, they were. So if you're a mid-sized bank, of course you're going to put it in something that actually yields something. What I, what I don't understand, though, is why would they not put it in the shorter duration? Why not a one-year T-bill? Why a 10? Because again, they lived in an environment for 40 years where interest rates came down, down for 40 okay. years. If you bought it, so it's, it's, it works the same in both directions. If you buy a treasury bond with a coupon of 2%, let's say in the 10 years and interest rates drop by 1%, meaning the new going open market rate is, uh, is a 1% uh, coupon. Well, that a hundred basis points in a, dropping yield means that 10-year bond went up in value by 10%. Hey, right. that's pretty sexy, isn't it? Because yeah. now you're sitting on all sorts of unrealized gains on your mm -hmm. balance sheet. So sometimes what happens is you back yourself into a corner. Okay, you get offside and you're like, okay, I'm certain Jerome Powell just told me that rates are going to be lower for longer. So I'm certain that this is the top of interest rates. So they buy more of it. And uh-oh, Powell was wrong. And then the bond price goes down more. And, and you know, you've, you've seen this a thousand different ways. Adding to a losing trade is always generally a bad risk management decision. But it's yeah. human nature to say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to average down. I'm going to average down, right? So who knows what? And, and again, Clint, these guys were growing in leaps and bounds. Depositors were throwing money at them. And they had to figure out somewhere to put it. What would the responsible thing to have to do? Yes, invested in two-year or shorter bonds. The problem is, if you remember, two-year and shorter bonds had no yield to them because right. Powell was keeping the short it's end nothing. of the curve. Like, why would you even do but, it? Yeah. But I, I looked it up, though, and I thought that you could get a, a one-year T-bill at 1%. And they were putting it into ten-year MBS, or it, you're you're speaking as if it's ten-year Treasuries. I've read MBS. Well, MBS is fine. That that, that ha you have to hold that you have to hold capital against that. But MBS exactly. will trade at a higher spread right. than so it'll take the ten-year Treasury rate, and then you add an incremental spread for the credit risk of the mortgage-backed security. Exactly. So you get more. But yeah, again, it's it's like you know. Have you're, the MBS has changed as much in price as the bonds? I beg your pardon. In the last like. Two years have the MBS returns. Oh, they, it's all a bond. It, 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 it is a mathematical formula. It is agnostic as to what the uh, who the counterpart, not the counter, who the credit tour, uh, the the 
the borrower is. I'm just meaning on the market has the price changed. Oh yeah, for, uh, but uh, imagine uh, it's uh, moving MBS, very similar. An MBS bond yeah. will trade for two for change in price for two reasons, guy. One mm -hmm. is because of the underlying interest rate, and then one is because of the change in the spread, which reflects the incremental risk of mortgage-backed securities over and above the U.S. Treasury. So if that spread widens. The price will fall, everything else being equal, even with no change in yep. the uh, in so, the, the underlying interest rate. So essentially, all of it is slave to the interest rate. All of it hey, is slave to the interest rate. Like largely. so, and so here you have the fundamental problem: is nobody is betting, nobody is playing a market, nobody's nope. playing a game of economics. They're playing a game of bureaucrat whim. They're, they're playing Fed. They're policy. betting what Powell is going to do. Yep. The entire market. The banking system, the mortgage system, everybody is operating and having to hedge based on what they think Powell is going to do today or the next bureaucrat that gets in. There's no market here. We're, we're, I literally playing, shut, we're, just, I literally we're shut gambling down my, on socialism. I literally shut down my mortgage company in 2020 because I saw that then. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, there is no market here. This is all Fed policy. No one's actually making any investment decisions based off of like underlying uh, you know, risk parameters or, or income or, or innovation. It's like, like, I mean, sure there's some, there's but no it was economizing. Like, yeah. It's the, the, got nothing to do with that. I, I can't read yeah. charts like that. Like I'm not going to fucking read the tea leaves of the fed reserve minutes. Like I'm not going to do that as a money yeah, manager. Everybody it makes me does. Like, a I, I, I know. Hilarious. The amount of brain power that's wasted parsing the words of some idiot lawyer who, yeah. by the way, <laughs> sits in a risk chair that he never should be qualified for. And they parse his words and, Here's the craziest thing. He doesn't even know what the next 90 days is going to look like. And they pretend he does know what the next 90 days is, are going to look like. Right. If he remember just two years ago, he was saying interest rates are going to be lower for longer. Now yeah. what's the new verbiage? Oh, interest rates are going to be higher for longer. Right. Like, oh my God, guys, this is like sucking and blowing. It's like hurting cats. It's I, not a good thing. I have to ask both of you guys this. How autonomous is the Fed chair? In your opinion, guy, what do you think? Is he is he really Jesus. making these calls? Because I can't tell. I have no idea. That's a, okay. Like it's it's one of those things that almost like does it matter? Um, <laughs> well, I just want to know who like, to be mad at, guy. <laughs> yeah, it's like who are we betting on? Are we betting on Powell? Are we betting right. on uh, whoever's whoever's puppeting Biden's corpse? Right. Um, because so a lot of people I, a lot of people ask if it's like. It, the, the Fed board is filled with CEOs of, of most of the big banks. So it's like, yeah. are, is he giving the marching orders or is he basically listening to the, the, uh, the, what's it? The capos, Governors. you know, like yeah, <laughs> the head of the mob bosses. <laughs> I feel like there's probably a banking cartel for lack of a better word. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, like conglomerate that has a, an astonishing amount of influence and political power, so they are typically aligned. But when the shit hits the fan, there's a lot of competing interests, and there's probably a lot of people butting heads. Like I, I think, I mean, kind of what we're looking at today is consensus breaking down all over the place. Like mm -hmm. there's no there's no strong monetary order on the globe anymore. I don't think there's any strong like interest rate controls from any single central bank or like single side of things. I, like there's a lot of indication that like there seems to be a lot of water in the idea 
of that there's a SOFOR and a LIBOR competition going on. Um, and the ECB and Fed are fighting each other. And then there's an entirely the BRICS nations are setting up an entirely new monetary block. And they're leaning on the ruble and the yuan. And they are essentially pulling their funds out. U.S. treasuries are not being bought by foreign entities anymore. Even Japan, which has been kind of like a reliable backstop of that, is starting to happen. Like they're finding themselves in a situation where they can't even do it. Um, like everything, everything's just splintering. Like consensus is just falling apart in the monetary system. And I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a coincidence that it seems like Signature Bank was socialized was nationalized by the regulators and that they weren't actually insolvent like that this is just an attack to get crypto out of the banking system to get it, it was an attack on crypto or whatever but it's 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 bitcoin it's just them trying to remove uh outside money from inside the financial system the, what was the, the justification if it, i mean if they're not that, if the, not the justification was that they couldn't they, they were going to be insolvent but uh the cfo uh, uh spoke with like a cnbc i believe it was um and uh it was reported in a couple of different places that he was like like yeah there was like a quote unquote bank run yeah we had like a really we were having a really rough go of it but we were expecting to open up monday without any problem and <laughs> it was just like middle of the day sunday they were just like all management get out of here we're taking over and Barney um, Frank basically uh, admitted as much too, right, guys? So uh, yeah, um, yeah, and the office of the control of the currency, the former office of the control of the currency, said the same thing. They said, "No, this is Operation Choke Point 2.0. That they're they're basically doing what they did to all the politically unsavory people in Operation Choke Point to basically squeeze them out of the banking system. That they're not trying to do that with Bitcoin and crypto. And uh, one of the things sense. that's really crazy about it is the resiliency of Bitcoin in the midst of all this is that Bitcoin has gone up. Yeah, right. Um, so you, it's, is that, it's, is that, it's really interesting. Is that the uh, decoupling that we talked about the last time I had you guys on, do you think? Um, I or don't is this think... just about the printing and the bailing out? I don't think... I, I think it's less about the printing and the bailing out. Like, I don't think we're going to see a net increase in the amount of, like, money for a while. Because we're clearing out a lot of debt at the same time that they're guy oh. today the Fed just announced they added three hundred billion dollars to their balance oh, Jesus. today. Yeah. That was, that was over the past. Well, it lasts for hours. Okay. Like, well, no, no, so but they, they also, said, they also said that the that the uh, FDIC you know infusion amounts to two trillion dollars. So I mean, wow. we're talking significant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, guys, it's it's QE infinity. That's it. It's it's never been. It's QE infinity was always certain. It's just they, they were trying to pretend it wasn't. And then you get a crisis like this and it's they open up the tops again. So, yeah, uh, it's definitely adding liquidity to the system. So two hundred, so $300 billion added to the Fed balance sheet just today, uh, this last past week. It's, according to Dylan LeClaire, it's the highest since the COVID crisis and only three times in history did it ever exceed that much on a weekly basis. And that was all during the COVID crisis. Uh, response so you know Whoa. this is what happens this is not good well well i don't response think was appropriate yeah, the right. response was appropriate to the crisis that was brewing mm -hmm. because i look i don't want the u.s financial system to collapse i am a bitcoiner 
who does not actually want the U.S. financial system to collapse, because I don't think a lot of Bitcoiners who do want the financial system to collapse understand the calamity that would occur if it, it does, insane. in fact, collapse. So we need to build this parallel system and have this lifeboat ready to rescue enough people when it does collapse. It's going to collapse. Here's the problem. The, the problem probably won't start in the USA. Well, it started in the USA. There's way bigger problems in the European banking system right now. So big guys like Credit Suisse and I was about to say, They just Bank. got bailed out yesterday, right? It's Credit Suisse had a light flying yesterday from the Swiss National Bank. 50 which, is, here, which is also defunct, practically. Uh, it yeah. is because they own too many Apple shares. Okay, so the Swiss National Bank owns tons of equities. Okay, now he, uh, they can obviously don't have to sell their Apple shares to fund uh, the the lifeline that they provided to, to Credit Suisse. They can print their own money, but the Swiss National Bank has heretofore been much more uh, disciplined than the uh, the European Central Bank or mm -hmm. the uh, Fed. Doesn't matter. It's only math, guys. QE infinity is the only solution or else it does collapse. So I don't want it to collapse. QE infinity will stop it from collapsing in the short term. But what QE infinity or quantitative easing infinity means is dollar debasement. And everyone will say, okay, but the US dollar reigns supreme. Hey, the US dollar is the best looking horse at the glue factory, but it's still going down. Okay, guys. So the D US dollar will debase. The Canadian dollar will debase more and faster. The European, the, the euro will debase faster as well. The Japanese yen, it's been over for a long time for the Japanese yen. So this is, this is what happens when you have irresponsible fiscal management coupled with the knee-jerk reaction to always print money to solve the crisis. So in my career, I've been involved in five different crises. Started with the Latin American debt crisis way back in 1988, okay? But the solution is always the same. Kick the, fiscal, the financial responsibility up to the government level, socialize losses at the banking level. So Latin American debt, long-term capital management, great financial crisis, these are about 10 years apart, each of them. COVID crisis. Now the, uh, you, you know, the bank runs on, uh, on North American banks. And this has actually started more people thinking about their deposit insurance than I even experienced in the great financial crisis. So I've fielded hundreds of calls about people worried about their bank deposits now versus back in 2008, 2009. People sort of understood that the world was ending, but it wasn't quite as... Yeah. You know, this is the second viewing of this film, right? These people have seen this movie before and exactly. now they're getting worried again. So people are understanding it finally. Well, Guy, I know you made an impassioned uh, plea to to not bail them out. And and I'm somewhere in between you and Greg. Yeah. I I obviously I don't support the bailouts. I, I was just explaining to my audience that like they're going to. So yeah. like, you know, whether or not we say it is kind of that, Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, but I, I know you happen, make you make but... a great argument as to why kind of a ripping off the of the band-aid it obviously it does just ma make the the bust worse later on um but greg sounds as if he thinks that perhaps it it, it allows more time for people to exit the system and create a a, a parallel well, system so. yeah let me be care let me be very careful there's so many people wrapped up in this that are innocent innocent bystanders right. that are going to get collateral damage okay now 
at some point you have to rip that bandage off. If people haven't learned the lesson in, in a couple of years, Hey, too bad. But <laughs> the truth is now, right now, more than ever. Okay. People are finally learning. And you asked about whether this was a decoupling. I do believe it's the beginning of a decoupling. I have mm -hmm. always viewed Bitcoin as being insurance on the Fiat Ponzi. And this is exactly what Bitcoin, how it acted during this concern over the Fiat Ponzi. People ran to a store of value that they could trust with no intermediary, no centralized control figure, and the price action responded as it should. Will it continue to go that way? Who knows, a eh, guy? I mean, this is this is a this Bitcoin doesn't care. Okay, Bitcoin is it just doesn't care. It'll do what it does. And what does care though? We lost the on ramps from Signature Bank, but hidden underneath, did you notice that Fidelity just provided an on ramp for Bitcoin purchases for millions and millions of American purchasers? Okay, I did not. Yeah. Did not. Okay. So this isn't publicized like. You know, closing of signature banks. Hey, but all of a sudden, the fifth largest asset manager in the world, Fidelity, come to my Fidelity platform and you can buy Bitcoin. <laughs> this is really pretty They've cool. Been this They've is been pretty, pretty terror. cool. And yeah. guys, look, we know there's Bitcoin and then there's crypto. And this is part of the great, uh, you know, education process. But let's be honest. Bitcoin was designed in 2009 for the great financial crisis, which is recreating itself to an extent in 2023. Yeah. And that's what Bitcoin was designed for. So it's behaving like it should, in my opinion. Okay, yeah. that's fair. I Go think ahead, in the guys. context of decoupling is that we're going to see it happen in spurts over a really, really long period. Um, is that there's not going to be like a decoupling because no matter what, it's still going to respond to interest rates. It's still going to respond to the amount of money in the system. And the reason I don't think it's going to be directly inflationary from a price perspective for a while is because what it's countering, what all this money printing is countering is the disinflation that should have happened. Bingo. Is like we should have had massive defaults across the system because there are so many people operating insolvent. There are so many people operating as if there are reserves or assets that they own that are worth X amount and they're worth like 0.5 X. And so we should get a massive deflation. We should get a massive clearing of value that's not actually there. And then all this printing essentially props up that correction from being able to happen. It, it essentially stops it. Yeah, but the I, mean, reason I make this. I think. Okay, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say real quick. I I make this point all the time to my audience that you know they're they're all so convinced that you know inflation or even hyperinflation is imminent, and I'm like, look, guys, we're functioning in a system that is so awash in debt. You're going to have it's these so leveraged. Yeah, it's so leveraged. There's yeah. going to have these two forces that are up against each other. You have the printing press, which is burned a million miles an hour, but then you also have at any moment, at any moment, you can have trillions of dollars that just just vanish. Poof. You yeah, know, gone. so like yeah. you, you got to offset those things. And, and I don't think people take that seriously enough, at least not in our camp. Yeah. So, um, and I think it's important to remember that dynamic. But one of the reasons I really think Bitcoin moved like this and one of the major forces that I think will decouple Bitcoin, not even necessarily in its use of a store of value, but in its ability to move capital is in its ability. Like, I think we had a run on stable coins. I think we had a run on bank deposits that moved partially into Bitcoin 
because people didn't know where else to put it. You know, like Signature Bank got shut, got social, like nationalized, like they got taken over by the government. You're talking about a whole market that's in crypto and Bitcoin that's adjacent to all of this stuff. A lot of them probably were like, maybe I don't want to move it to JP Morgan. Maybe I just want to sell my shit coins and I want to sell my stable coins and I want to hold some Bitcoin for a little while because they're seeing a completely different trust environment. They're seeing That's a completely different mechanism as to like their mindset is different. They know they can actually hold this. They know they're going to wake up on Monday morning and they're going to own their Bitcoin. Man, so if they if, can get into Bitcoin quickly, it, that's you, the avenue. If you have a shift from, you know, crisis flight to T-bills to crisis flight to Bitcoin, that'll be fucking, that's a decoupling. If that I happens, think, that's huge. I think we're seeing that happen at a 0.01%. Right. Um, and I think the the next big scare will be 0.02%. Right, right, and right. And I think the next one will be a little bit bigger. Yeah, um, makes sense. If, if, if we can survive those. I don't think there's three financial yeah. crises left in the yeah. system, Guy. I yeah, mean, man. honest to God. Like, I mean, this, I, don't, this, I don't either. Yeah, this is I mean, why I mean, I, crises like like the next bank that goes the one the one right. that's about well, to about, about here's to the craziest break thing, okay? a foundation based on the shuttering of Credit Suisse next <laughs> okay, week. That, that'll be that'll be epic, and that'll that'll cause a meltdown in the entire global system. But let's just focus on on the United States. When I graduated in 1988 from school in the U.S. and I did come back to Canada, Canada only has seven national banks. And what I couldn't get over was the fact that when I was in school there in the late 80s, there were 15,000 banks in the United States, okay, 15,000. Now, that number is down to under 5,000, which means 10,000 have either merged or a few of them have gone out of business. But by and large, it's been a consolidation. You still have 5,000 banks in the USA versus the same seven in Canada, okay? Now, Canada has coast-to-coast banking, whereas in the USA, you had interstate interstate banking restrictions and that's why you couldn't get a you know a global coast to coast network it's starting now with the big boys but the crazy thing is there's still five thousand banks how many of them do you think are really well managed guy and i'm gonna throw this out at least four thousand of them are run by morons okay (laughs) that means that you have four thousand more potential candidates that are going to either have to be consolidated or there's going to be a bank run because Most people, including lots of people that work at the biggest banks in the world, don't truly understand the business of banking. It's a very difficult business. There's a lot of leverage, 25 times leverage on your equity capital base. You don't have to make a whole lot of mistakes for that equity capital base, which is 25 times or 125th the size of your assets to poof, it's gone. And all of a sudden when it's gone, oh, you know, it, it, I just made a bad, a couple of bad loans to a couple of bad industries or whatever, or too much systematic risk and everything exploded all at once. Hey, this happens all the time, but that's why I'd be worried that, you know, everyone says, well, we had, we had three banks and then some guy came out and said, I think there's another 34 banks that are at risk. Hey, I'm a Canadian. Don't take this the wrong way. I think there's 3,400 <laughs> banks that are at risk in the U S And that's just pure math, okay? So they all do the same mistakes. They all have the same mismatched assets and liabilities and gap risk. I don't want to see it happen. However, it will happen. And we don't have a lot of financial crises left. At some point, guy, the world is just going to go enough. I'm not funding the U.S. Treasury to continue this bullshit. 
it's over. So yeah. that's when you better have your insurance and everything uh, in place. What's what I think in kind of a macro, like the geopolitical perspective, is that we're, we're desperately everybody's looking for an outside money. Um, like they're they're looking for some sort of asset to hold outside of the monetary system, but like even gold, like you're, you're just kind of trading one third party risk for a different third party risk. Yeah. Like, so there's no, there's simply no good Avenue out of this anymore. Like there's no valve big enough to release the pressure and every Avenue that they're putting that any of these like currency blocks or central bank entities and, and like uh, a banking separate banking jurisdictions or regimes, so to speak, um, are trying to do is trying to figure out which liabilities are leaking or leaking the least and which liabilities have the least contagion for cascading through the collapse of the other liabilities. Because that's what, because ultimately this is all caused by the fact that we're all interdependent, by the fact that banking can't just operate on cash balances anymore because cash bleeds. Because you have to put money somewhere. You have to make a nominal gain or you take a 2% real loss. And that's that's, that's, that's best. That's, that's best why Silicon Valley Bank is, is, is bankrupt because they went after 1.58% 1, 1. return because they're fucking, they're just trying to stay alive. I mean, this is what, yeah. but everyone they was just, making terrible decisions. Every, everybody has to make terrible decisions. It's just right. a, it's a fight over who can make the least terrible decision. Yeah. Um, and what you end up doing is tying everything together because then the value of the assets that you are purchasing to make a nominal gain, the stock market, the mortgages, the like all of the things that you think actually have like the commodities that you think actually have some sort of value staying power are actually bloated, are actually inflated because of the creation of new liabilities to back their price. So yeah. they become artificially inflated in value, in nominal value, because they're being chased by the creation of new liabilities that are unsustainable. So even if you hold it in a commodity, even if you hold it in real estate, like those still get demolished by the li by the the unreliability of the liabilities under underlying everything <laughs> because they're the, they're the things that's the that's the value that's being leveraged to chase all these prices higher yeah. so the stocks fall with it the mortgages fall with it everything is dependent on the pricing of the liability the interest rate is god and pal gets to tell god what to do and yeah. well like, think, and think so about he this. just wakes up in the morning and says fuck all you guys you're done well, think think you know? about how crazy this is that the banks are are already having major systemic issues. And this is before you have any sort of real estate fallout from the hiking interest rate cycle. Once you start to see that market chill. Well, real estate hasn't even like- No, nah, it hasn't. It's not yeah. even happened yet. I know, you know? it has it hardly moved at all. Hey, I'll bring you guys back in one sec. I want to talk a little bit more about the macro. But before I do, oh my goodness. Are you tired of giving your money to something and feeling like you don't get the value out of it? Me too. Health insurance plans can be confusing and expensive. Then when you actually have to use your benefits, there are deductibles, claim processes, and other red tape to deal with. But CrowdHealth puts you back in control of your health care and helps you pay for health expenses. Do it now. If you say <laughs> CrowdHealth is simple, transparent, and affordable. As a member, you'll get a personal care advocate to help navigate the complexities of health events. Your personal care advocate will help negotiate bills on your behalf. 
They'll be with you every step of the way and could save you thousands in health bills in the process. You'll get access to a crowd of thousands of other members who are ready to help pay for large healthcare expenses. $40 of your $175 monthly payment helps pay for your care advocate, telemedicine services, discounted prescriptions, and other tools to get the best care at an affordable price. The remainder of the monthly payment goes into your crowd health account that you own so you can help others in the crowd pay for their medical expenses as well. Stop playing in their stupid system. Experience healthcare freedom with crowd health. Visit joincrowdhealth.com and use code lockdown at checkout to get your first three months for just $99 per month. That's joincrowdhealth.com, promo code lockdown. Crowd health is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for healthcare. Terms and conditions may apply. And we are back with Greg Foss and Guy Swan. All right. So I got chills down my spine when I, uh, when I heard about the Chinese brokering a peace between Iran and Saudi Arabia. And then, and then I heard about the Chinese Chinese. also attempting to broker a peace between Ukraine and Russia, which for the record, like if that means that the war in, in Ukraine ends, and if that means that the war in Yemen ends, like fucking awesome. However, if you are of our thinking, I'm sure you guys heard the same thing, which is this is the bipolar world order coming arising and ultimately the petrodollar system perhaps being challenged in a way that we have not seen in our lifetimes. Did either of you see it similarly? Am I overstating it? What do you guys think? Whoever wants to start? Well, the petrodollar system is over. Um, I I think it died in, uh, when was it? Would it be February of last year? Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. When they froze Putin's uh, uh, securities. And Saudi Arabia started making their first um, oil deals in Yuan. Oh, I read um, I read in that in December of 2022, they were just like like they had made it an option, but they still hadn't done so. So you're saying they had already done so. Uh, I could be wrong on that. I okay. it was well, maybe it I am. Was I a, it was a statement. It was there was essentially a declaration that this was going to happen. Okay. Uh, so I don't okay. know. If money changed hands like if oil changed hands with that. Um, right. And then uh, Russia really screwed things up because they went everybody's all unfriendly nations now have to use rubles so the europe a lot of european countries now had to buy rubles to get oil and commodities from russia and russia is a huge exporter so like i think sometime in the last two years the whole thing has fallen apart okay um and but the problem is i don't think it's going to kill demand for the dollar for quite some time because there's so much dollar denominated debt so Uh. Essentially, there's a backlog of unraveling, a massive backlog of unraveling to do. Um, But China is, you know, since 2005 or whatever, like China is the major trading partner for like 80 percent of the planet now. Like like they are they are the dominant player. Um, So like what's funny is I think actually the U.S. could win this fight if we went back to the Constitution. Like, Like it's funny. It's like winning this is not hard you're fighting a communist nation all you have to do is be free (laughs) like you'll have the like the most aggressively growing and prosperous economy in five years time if you just fucking stop all this game this perfect time bullshit perfect time to mention this had three years ago to this very day had donald trump and his regime decided to go against fucking fauci and their regime's advice like, can you imagine how Dude. how light years ahead of the so, the world the U.S. economy would be versus all those fucking idiots? Had they done that? Crazy. Forty percent 
of small businesses in this country. Yeah. Shut down. Catastrophic. In Catastrophic. Like, like, could you, could you come up with a, a better way to just literally saw off your arm before a fight, you right. know, like, well, and then and then lament income inequality afterwards, you pieces of fucking garbage. I, I'm sorry, as a small business owner, it makes me absolutely furious. I'm one of those businesses that shut down, and I, I, mean, I, I may. Have... Is... Uh, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead, please. Is there a more perfect example of that stupid meme of just Which like one? the dude who's like he's just like small business government? <laughs> yeah, right, I can't right. believe they did that. You know, like <laughs> exactly. Give like, me more money like... and power. To hear uh, them, like, I just want to punch them in the face. If yeah. they ever get up there and say anything about small business or the poor or the middle class, it's like, go fuck yourself. Like, yeah. you shot them. Like, you are the murderer. Do not yeah. complain about the blood. Yeah, well, the, the taxation and the regulatory system put a bunch of nails in the coffin, and then the lockdowns were just like, and you're dead. And it's it's fucking it's heartbreaking, man, because like that's yeah, that's yeah. really the engine of an economy. That's the way a, a healthy civilization rises as one, as opposed to this being this huge chasm where the hyper wealthy get super, super wealthy and then the poor get poor and the middle class become poor. It's like none of that had to happen. None of it had to happen. But just the fucking stupidity and the greed and the bureaucracy, it all led us towards this this path of now hating one another and everyone thinking that it's the, the rich that are the problem when really it's the politically connected crony rich that are the real fucking problem. So it breaks my heart. I don't know how yeah. we recover from that, honestly. Can I uh, go back to the petrodollar discussion? Yes, please. Because, yeah, please. because Putin, if you've ever listened to him explain to his parliament, and you may not get that in the United States, it might be something we got in Canada and was blocked to be released in the United States. I'm not saying that was the case, but I certainly didn't see it dispersed well in the United States compared to Canada. When There's Putin a total is media blackout. To, for, yeah, for Putin's here. explaining to his parliament why he doesn't want to hold U.S. dollars uh, and why selling his valuable natural resource energy for debasing U.S. currency is a very silly uh, economic exercise. And, uh, you know, uh, the natural thing for me, and I, we may have touched on this in our last podcast together on your show, Clint, but if we didn't, I'm an engineer. Uh, to me, it makes imminent sense that, uh, eminent sense that, uh, Eventually, oil and natural gas will be priced in Bitcoin because I think of Bitcoin as digital energy. And so if you're going to sell valuable natural resource energy, you want to get paid for it in digital energy. And I think eventually that is what will dethrone the petrodollar because respectfully, Guy, the petrodollar still is the currency of trade for oil globally. They're picking away at it. That being said, it's they, on the margin. It's well, the it margin. is, but the competitive yeah. advantage for the United States is they can essentially print energy, right? By printing U.S. dollars, you're the only government in the world that can print energy. It's beautiful. It's a mm -hmm. huge competitive advantage. Of course, they don't want to lose it. Well, what if, though, the United States starts incorporating Bitcoin into their treasury, into their balance sheet, so that they can actually... When oil is priced in Bitcoin, there is a residual impact in the price of their reserves, their treasury reserves in Bitcoin go up. And, you know, love him or hate him, there's a young man who works for the Department of Defense, uh, Jason Lowry, guys, that 
I just finished reading his book. It's 400 pages of absolute brilliance, in my opinion. Yet. But by I've that, it. like, and people don't have to love him or hate him. You just have to listen to his point of view. Um, it's absolute brilliance as to how Bitcoin is not just bit energy. It's actually even bit information. And Bitcoin could someday, it's, it happened to be called coin, but you could call it anything you want, primarily bit energy or bit uh, information. He believes that Bitcoin will be the basis of settling wars without kinetic force. You can win wars and avoid all the human catastrophes. Well, that sounds but, lovely. Well, it, and and he's he has to talk that way because he works in the Department of Defense, and that's the <laughs> way they 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 talk about winning wars. But wars are throughout history happen because humans have disagreements. That being said, I don't want to get off subject of the petrodollar. I think part of the parallel system that could be so beneficial for the United States would be to embrace a Bitcoin uh, culture that has the U.S. dollar as your checking account and Bitcoin as your savings account. And yep. that way you keep fiat currencies are pretty good at facilitating global trade. They're just horrible as a store of value. <laughs> right. So if you still have the dominant fiat currency in the world. There won't be 180 of them. There'll probably be four of which the USA will be one. And you want it to be number one. If it's backed by Bitcoin as the savings account, I think, and I, I believe Michael Saylor feels the same way, this could be mutually beneficial. I'm a Canadian. Canada doesn't matter, okay? Like, as proud as I am to be Canadian, we just don't fucking matter. We're never going to be part of this. We live rent-free in the attic of the USA. Most Americans can't even find us on a map, for God's sakes, okay? So that's <laughs> fine. But here's what I know, that I want the USA to succeed because if the USA succeeds, Canada's going to succeed. It's just the mm. way it works, okay? So I want you guys to embrace that dual mechanism that would... <clears throat> Ensure the survivability of a piece of crap fiat currency that works not as a store of value, but as a trade, uh, a trade uh, enhancer. And you have your store of value, Bitcoin, as your savings account. OK, yeah. and, and then pricing energy in Bitcoin. Giddy up. Right. All of these things make eminent you know, sense. And and so remember that Putin is a brilliant tactician, in my opinion. And they don't forget China and Russia play the long game. Yep. They're planning stuff today for 20 years in the future that yeah. it's very hard for China's our been playing the long game for a long time. Yeah. Really it's well. very hard for our 90 day quarterly reporting capitalist society to think that far out. But oh, shit. most people today, most kids today thinking, you know, 10 hour news cycles. It's yes. like, it's, it's like a day. Um, I, I want to play devil's advocate here and say, um, cause a lot of people were asking me this question and I, I think I have a good answer, but I'm curious what you guys think. Uh, they were saying that, you know, why would China of all nations want to become the reserve currency seeing as what we saw with, you know, the, the U S dollar being the reserve currency is that much of our industry was offshored because it was cheaper to get labor there. And, and essentially China, I think that basically they, they they would do so with the expectation that they're moving from an agrarian to a, you know more of a consumer based economy, kind of the American model. Um, but if it were to happen rapidly, it could be very problematic where they have uh, too strong of a currency and they ultimately end up losing many many of their jobs and then they end up having you know riots and things like that. Uh, what do you guys think to that you know rejoinder? 
Well, I think there's a good argument to be made that um, like the reserve currency status for the U.S. has not been good. Like it has not been right. It's not helped us with like better. Like we've gutted our manufacturing base. We've strip mined the economy in exchange for a paper currency market. But we've got um, a lot of endless wars, so that's kind of cool. We, we got a lot of that, so that's great. <laughs> that's we got that going for us. Um, but uh, and I don't really think that's what's going to happen. Like, okay. like I think on the margin, China and the yuan or whatever will um, will take a lot of the offloading of the Fed and the Treasury demand. But I don't think they're going to become like the new monetary standard and like the you know chinese government bonds are going to be like the de facto reserve like i think we're just going to split up in a very multipolar world and we're going to attempt everybody is going to attempt to find some sort of outside money solution like sdrs are the attempt for the uh, the imf or whatever and the like that cartel trying to figure out how to back it up with like a set of commodities and like a basket of assets and things. And I think um, it's likely that we'll see push push back towards like framing a lot of different monetary uh, systems with gold or uh, backing different currencies with gold, um, at least partially. Uh, and then, you know, partially gold, partially a liability, et cetera, which it's kind of the same thing. It's somebody else's gold that's going to be paid, which is not right. going to happen. It's not going to move. Um, and but in doing so, like I think what just what happens is, you know, when the when the global order falls apart, you just have disorder. Um, like it's just going to lead to confusion, friction, restrictions, uh, and high jurisdictional cost. Less cooperation, um, no question. Yeah, um, supply would. chains are going to be less reliable. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is going to yeah. eviscerate the developing world that has been basically, you know, structurally adjusted with IMF loans into specializing to just whatever the Western nations need. Right. Um, and so they've gutted their farmland. They've gutted all of their uh, all of their base necessities and traded to and basically turned to ex uh, importing all of those things in exchange for exporting like nothing but coffee so it's basically a, it's know, basically a, a cobalt a, uh, it's a coerced and, division of labor but on a national yeah. scale yeah and so when we re-isolate when all of the western nations like pull everything back home and they reshore they're trying to reshore manufacturing and we're trying to close in and like exert more control and get like uh, the our, our individual situations more sorted out they're left they're just screwed all over again um, because now they can't even import stuff. And now they don't have a reliable supply chain between, you know, East and West um, to even operate with anymore. And, you know, now cargo ships probably aren't going to be as big as they are anymore because you don't have the reliance of them going around the world without mm -hmm. being pirated by some nation in between. Like, I, I think just confidence and reliability in all of the systems and all the globalization that we've come to take for granted is going to diminish greatly. Um, well, I've got some follow-ups here, but I'd like to hear yeah. Greg's uh, opinion first. I'm sure well, you got some I, of that. No, yeah. I, I, I largely agree. Um, one of the things that I think we need to distinguish between a reserve currency and a reserve asset. And, 
uh, Guy touched on that when he said, I don't think that the Chinese bonds will become the de facto reserve asset like U.S. Treasuries are. Right. But what you are seeing with U.S. Treasury demand is that the U.S. budget is going to go cause a deficit uh, right now it's 32 trillion and there was a great it was I think a congressional hearing today or a Senate hearing where Ron Johnson from uh, from uh, Wisconsin Senator from Wisconsin was grilling Janet Yellen and he basically said to her what you don't have these numbers at the tip of your th uh, fingers you know what what the U.S. deficit will go from 32 trillion to 50 trillion over the next 10 years 50 trillion the crowding out of other capital uh uh, you know, of, of other capital providers by the U.S. Um, uh, demand is is monumental. And if you don't figure out how to fund that, and Guy mentioned that, you know, the Japanese are backing away from the market and treasuries will not be the reserve asset of the world anymore. This is a big problem. So especially when the world becomes a smaller place, if you don't have global supply uh, uh, chains, you don't have your trading partners holding U.S. treasuries because they don't need to. Like, it's just part of the, you know, the, that's the way the uh, foreign exchange markets or, you know, your your traditional uh, economics calculation, GDP equals C plus I plus G plus net exports, right? And if your net exports start changing, all of these things uh, change globally. So there's going to be a whole lot of that going on. I think there'll be four different currencies essentially or currency regimes around the world uh but all of this leads to the fact that one of them will be backed with bitcoin and that one will be the winner in my opinion that will be the reserve asset of the world and it won't be bonds from any of these countries they'll have to figure out how to fund themselves either you know without uh uh other global central banks holding a bunch of treasuries on their on their balance sheet but Bitcoin will solve that. The, the reality is, though, a guy, nobody knows. I mean, we're sort of, you know, finger in the wind making yeah. predictions yeah, yeah, right yeah. now. But the, the, the There's undeniable so many, like, truth, events that could change everything. Undeniable <laughs> truth that the USA's fiscal situation of $32 trillion of debt going to $50 trillion in the next 10 years is probably the biggest strategic defense uh attack vector that Disaster. the USA has and no one's thinking about it. They just right. assume that the world will continue to buy us treasury debt. And that they're not even the, doing it now. Like that, stopped, you know, you're totally correct, sir. So this is some of the stuff we have to consider. Um, it's the, the debt spiral that I call it the, the grade 11 math. And well, let me, uh, let me give Powell some credit here. Maybe, maybe the interest rate hiking cycle isn't just about tamping down inflation, but in fact, trying to create more demand for, for U.S. Treasuries, uh, it has to because, as Ron Johnson said, how else do you incent people to buy it if it has a very low return but it's high risk? No one's going to buy it. But that being said, what happens, Clint, is that the higher interest cost and the coupon starts to make the debt spiral go faster because the organic growth of your debt spiral increases with your interest cost, right? right. So, so you have to like print to even maintain right. it. It's QE infinity. Okay. Here's the one conclusion yeah. of this whole thing. QE infinity is inevitable <laughs> in all scenarios. So you need to protect yourself against that. Yes. Well, th this is my concern here, guys. Uh, you know, what you're describing where 
uh, global trade starts to diminish and you have supply chain issues and things like that, um, as we are all familiar with the line of if you don't send goods across borders, you end up sending troops. I think that that could very likely be a, a catalyst for these wars, which are already percolating <clears throat> overseas. Um, is that is is there any chance that like some of the powers that be that have been trying to escalate these things are they? Is it still as simple as just defending the U.S. dollar's reserve currency status? Is that why they're going after both Russia and China, who seem to be the ones that are least willing to play along? Man. I know it's a heavy uh, question, but <laughs> I mean, I think about it a lot. So to I don't know. some degree, I think that's a lot of it. It could just be like a lot of political saving face. Like, like sure. they, everybody has to be the big dog and nobody can back down. Um, and basically everybody's been, everybody's been vying for their power. You know, NATO has been trying to expand to Russia. Like, like they said, time, you know, yeah. we're not going to do this. Like, like we will not cross one inch. Right. you know, more to uh, the West. And then they just, they've just been charging. They've been for, charging that direction. 30 years straight. 30 years. Just been charging. Like they've done, they, they didn't, they didn't hold that fucking thing for an hour, you know? <laughs> um, and so now they can't they, like, what are they going to do? Come out and be like, Oh, well, this is our fault. You know, like, like we, we've provoked the hell out of this and you know, no, they're like, everybody's everybody's gonna go wave their dick and be like i'm i'm the right. one that's right and this is the evil person and and they're all evil they're all shitheads um i mean look at them look at look at what all of them are doing putin is invading a country um america has treated everybody like they're fucking pet dogs um like just angry not even like a good pet owner like uh, no. just like i'm gonna beat you Abusive two or three hell. times a day um and i, and I think wh where this all lends itself to bitcoin uh and what i hope to see in bitcoin i actually hope that we take a lot longer for bitcoin to become the reserve asset for governments and political institutions because You'd rather the power go to the people first i hope i would much rather the power go to the people <laughs> first and it, more importantly well, what we're looking at is a breakdown in consensus is monetary consensus around the world has fallen apart and when you fundamentally look at what Bitcoin is, like what was the innovation of Bitcoin originally? Like what made it work when everything else failed? Is it's a consensus technology? Is it is fundamentally a way to achieve decentralized consensus among adversarial parties, which means that when supply chains and monetary consensus breaks down between jurisdictions, it's exactly the sort of thing you need to continue trade amongst the people stuck inside those jurisdictions without having to, but basically pulling some of that restriction, that capital control, the authoritarian power off of their shoulders. What I hope to see is that as the consensus continues to break down and as the restrictions build up and as we have this, everything has to trade between these chaotic, volatile fiat currencies, is the bottom 10 to 20% of the world just leaves. They just slowly exit. They rebuild our own supply chains. They like small payments start moving across the border. Like one of the things uh, I think they're in Costa Rica, actually. I don't, I don't know. But on Noster, you know, what Noster is Clint, are you on Noster? I, I okay. know what it is. I, I, I keep getting told to sign up. <laughs> keep, get, make a key. Make a key. All right, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, but uh, um, uh, uh, I was I was just on with uh, Carla and walker the other day with btc sessions and they're doing this little thing like a little tip chain and 
uh, they're just getting they're orange pilling like their waiter or waitress or whatever somewhere, mm. and then posting the address so that anybody can just send to them uh, a lightning address. Um, so anybody can just zap them, and then they cool. post it on Noster publicly. Very cool. Hundreds, hundreds of payments come in from every jur jurisdiction imaginable, and it makes no difference. Wow. They're in Costa Rica. Wow. Costa Rica doesn't matter. I'll send them a penny, right. send them a dollar, and as that builds out as that network expands you're going to see one percent two percent five percent of world capital and production essentially able to escape the consensus problem because they have a means a global means of payment a global frictionless means of payment and means of store value they have their own asset that isn't somebody else's liability that isn't based on their jurisdiction that mm -hmm. they they can just i mean i'll tell you like as someone who does almost everything in bitcoin and i do have my my fiat account you know like on my my full debit card and i have that and i i still have to do a lot of fiat stuff but when i see all these banking crises and all this stuff i can still do most of my stuff if they go away right um and uh i would be very sad that my fiat account was not retrievable but for the most part i'm a spectator right you know for the most part i'm just like man that's got to feel good it's crazy to be in that world <laughs> and then i go tip somebody on noster or i pay somebody for a little development project that i'm working on and i pay somebody for editing and transcripts for the podcast and well, you know like i don't i don't have to worry about or my payment's going to go through tomorrow morning. I have I have um, an interesting question for you guys because the, yeah. the I, I was just doing the math and it, it unless I have this wrong, there's only a half a trillion market cap in Bitcoin. And, Bingo. Bingo. And small. Like, and like Still really game, small. Game theory, yeah. you would say that first entrant, first central bank to like really go after it would be, you know, just the advantage to them would be astronomical, and yes. yet no one has done it yet. Huge. Dude. So like, what the so, fuck? Clint, Clint, can I, so I was, I wanted to jump in. Uh, yeah, please. It, it made me excited when uh, a guy was talking about just 5% of the world. Okay. Uh, you know, or, or five. So my price target, I don't think I ran through this with you on our last show. My price target on Bitcoin, it's a target. It's not a limit. Sure. Is over 2 million US dollars per Bitcoin. And the way I get there in is today's dollars, yeah. in today's dollars, thank you, Guy, uh, is very simply, there's 900 trillion of global financial assets in the world, okay? And that's basically 400 trillion of debt, 300 trillion of global real estate, 100 trillion of equities, and 100 trillion of commodities, gold, uh, fine art, other stores of value. So 400 plus 300 plus 100 plus 100 is 900 trillion US dollars of global financial assets, okay? Guy mentioned 5%, and that's the number I use. What if Bitcoin attracts a 5% allocation from all of these other financial assets? 5% of 900 trillion is 45 trillion, and then 45 trillion divided by 21 million is over 2 million US per Bitcoin. Okay. Pretty simple math. It's a target, not a limit in today's dollars. So in 20 years, it'll be much more than 2 million US, but right. brought back to $2,023. Could be trillions if we go into Weimar. <laughs> okay. So listen, <laughs> yeah. crazy stuff, because this is the best asymmetric 
investment opportunity I have ever seen in my life. And generally, you only get about three or four chances in your life for an asymmetric investment opportunity. They don't come around often because they're not supposed to. They are glorious things that you have to study and 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 understand when you are, are looking right down the lens of an asymmetric opportunity. But then it goes to the country thing. Imagine this small country of El Salvador that is accumulating Bitcoin on their balance sheet. There's only 6 million El Salvador citizens and the size of their economy is $29 billion, okay? Which is one one thousandth the size of the U.S. economy. <laughs> so there's 6 million people, but even their economy is a fraction of what it should be if it was in the United States. Another way of thinking of it is I'm pretty sure the greater Miami, the GDP of the greater Miami area area is far higher than the entire GDP of El Salvador. Okay. It, yeah. But nonetheless, they are putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet at $20,000 US for Bitcoin, when in fact it could go to a hundred times that amount. Well, not everybody is smart enough to do it themselves, guy. Like this is why I want sometimes countries to get involved on behalf of their citizens who aren't smart Mm. enough to do it themselves. There's a lot of smart people that will do it themselves, but there's also a lot of smart people that just will never do it. Unsmart people that will just never do it. Point is, how many many does El Salvador own? Six. Oh, oh, in terms of Bitcoin, I think they bought $50 million. Uh, Hold on. Uh, I don't know what it is lately. Yeah, um, I mean, it's not, it's, it's big, but it's uh, not huge. Yeah, I mean, okay. at the end of the day, the funny thing is, oh, they've lost so much on their Bitcoin, but their GDP went up 20% that because so many, people, yeah. so many people, so many people were visiting their nation. The tourism brought in 20% top line growth. Oh, awesome. And, and you put a, you know, you put a tax rate on that of 20% and all of a sudden you're talking, you know, $2 billion times 20% increases revenues to the treasury of like $400 million. And everyone says, oh my goodness, they've lost tens of million dollars on their Bitcoin holdings. You guys are such morons. You don't even understand the big picture, right? They hadn't sold anything. And, and, and there you go. So, but this comes down to game theory and this is where things do get exciting because that's only a, a population of 6 million people. But what if... And here's, I think that a G7 or G9 country is going to do it, okay? And I'm almost certain Russia is already doing it, but not telling anybody. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, and then it, it becomes common knowledge that one of the G9 and the G7 plus Russia or China makes it G9, one of those nations that do it, I think it's going to be a game changer. And oh, the yeah. price of Bitcoin will, you know, this is where game theory comes in, but... I hope it's Canada, okay? I really pray that we're smart enough in Canada to do it. I don't think it's going to be us, okay? As hard <laughs> would, as I'm trying. I would bet against it. <laughs> well, we have a lot of energy, so we should be doing it, right? I know. That I, well, you said, should be, yes. Yeah, yeah. All, all this to say, yeah, game theory opens up, and all of a sudden, my price target becomes like a lower limit. Like, okay, who cares? Sure, yeah. But, but here's the crazy thing. These are 100 times price increase 100 times and you don't get this chance very often in your life to participate in these types of asymmetric uh, investment opportunities and it's not 100 percent guaranteed the only thing that's 100 percent guaranteed is that the u.s dollar will continue to debase forever and ever and you better protect yourself against that and i think bitcoin is the best horse in the race to do that but there's other hard assets you got to own as well i I did the math on it and you know, I don't know their entry price, but I would imagine that that El Salvador only owns somewhere between 
a thousand and two thousand Bitcoin. Oh yeah, like, that's about like right. that's that's yeah. not a lot of Bitcoin. I mean, well, when you think about it, it is. But I mean, not. it's a it's yeah. a lot compared to other countries, which have fucking none, which is just there mind blowing. Go. There you go. The second, well, the USA has a lot because it's confiscated, but it would be amazing if they started mining it and using their uh, abundant, you know, uh, natural resource energy uh, to to mine Bitcoin strategically. All yeah. of this is on the to come. Um, makes it a pretty interesting. Uh, you know, you start thinking of what the possibilities are and it just, it becomes mind blowing. Yeah. Well, no and specifically on the El Salvador front is, you know, what would be the, like they've already had, they've had huge growth just because of the tourism, just because of the cleaning up the economy. They had a 90% decline in violent crime. It's like more than, it's like 90 90 plus. I can't remember exactly what the number was, but it was nine something. Yeah. Um, and and they, they had been the murder capital of the world. So they had been the murder progress. capital of the world, um, which is just crazy to think about. Um, now they have they've made Bitcoin legal tender and they are allocating to it. They are investing in mining and a geothermal plant. Um, yeah. Like as their economy, small country. They saw staggering GDP growth this past, like over the past couple of years, um, since this development, in spite of a significant Bitcoin bear market. Right. Right. When Bitcoin recovers, Oof. and I think all it has to do to recover is not die. Right. That's it. Like there, there is no the value of this asset in a multipolar world where monetary the global monetary order is breaking apart is so much not only is the value case so much clearer but it's so much greater because everything that bitcoin solves is getting worse everything mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. entire stack and, and the and the imperative to get on board is escalating exponentially year after year too yes now think I mean, about what happens when bitcoin goes <laughs> back to 60,000 goes up to 100,000 oh, yeah. which is not hard for it to do I just don't think there's the barrier is not as ridiculous. I think as some people might say that sounds, um, but I think if it's they, very reasonable, very reasonable size of the market in our current situation. It's if, just if, it's literally if flips, figuring out what the tools are useful for. Yeah, um, if Pal if Pal flips and goes QE and drops mm -hmm. rates again, like I I think you could see it very very rapidly, pretty quick. Yeah. What happens to El Salvador? Already during a growth phase, they become Hong Kong. I mean, we but like not under the thumb of like the Like this CCB. could be, this might be an exaggeration, <laughs> but it will be in a comparable area to the greatest period in the shortest amount of time of growth of any nation in all of recorded human history. Right. I agree. Like a 5% allocation, like a 5% yeah, yeah. exposure. Yeah. Crazy. You're talking about astonishing growth. There is no small to medium-sized country on the planet that will not turn and say, what the fuck just happened? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. And you got to be rooting for them then. As I, say, and, as I say in Canada, if we don't get Bitcoin on our balance sheet, we better all start learning to speak Spanish because we're going to be reporting to the Central American <laughs> to countries make a that... Uh, Spanish Bitcoin audible. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> But, you know, and, the, and the, it, Clint, you, you uh, rightly pointed out that the market cap of Bitcoin is less than half a billion dollars. Uh, did you know that on Monday, the amount of global financial wealth that evaporated because of financial stocks that got carved was about $468 billion? 
of equity value in financial bank stocks. So the market vaporized. cap of Bitcoin, right? Yeah, there. there you go. So like, you know, what are you supposed to own in this whole uh, in this whole thing? And this is why, you know, Guy and I, I, Guy, have you been to El Salvador? Did you go down yet? Or no, I, I went. So I, so I went, you, you and I want to go up, to Costa Rica really bad for you. You Nostra brought Rica, up Carlin Walker. But, so Carlin Walker and no. I were in Costa Rica. Uh, sorry, we're in uh, El Salvador for the adopting Bitcoin conference there. And yeah, it's real, guys. It's what's happening there is absolutely beautiful it's real the people are proud bitcoin beach is an absolutely functional uh ecosystem entirely on bitcoin if you want to be um and it's just really exciting to see and people the kids the children have you know skip in their step and they they understand bitcoin i'm part of a group that's sponsoring a school down there called me premier of bitcoin so my first bitcoin and it's you know we have uh, school manuals that have been translated uh, well, they're in obviously Spanish, but they've been translated to about four other uh, languages now because that same education program is being rolled out to other uh, education systems. And so, you know, all it takes is a little bit and then it's, you know, the momentum increases and the people uh, see the success stories. I'm, uh, I'm, you know, very convinced that in order for this to succeed, it just doesn't die that's it and it will not die it's going to continue to uh permeate the uh landscape in many different countries and uh because of the adoption process and you know got people like carlin walker i mean gosh they're they're just i was just in jackson hole wyoming with them as well uh guys and uh there was a bitcoin mining conference there and they're just they were doing exactly that they orange pill a waitress and then send hey Make sure you send some sats to this waitress and buy, oh my God, she already had 300,000 sats. And she's like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And, oh, you know, yeah. all it is, is just, you know, and I told two friends and so on and so on and so on. So um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited to be part of this as a 60 year old guy that uh, barely understands how to work an iPhone. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's pretty exciting to see this technology it's uh, not just a store of value, but it's a, a technology. It's a, it, it changes thought processes. It changes values. Yeah, it changes man. your culture. It's, it's very, very cool. And then what probably most importantly is that it, it changes people's time preference. And I, I think that that's what we, yeah. we lack most culturally, civil, civilizationally. It's like everyone is just so high time preference. And I think that this could actually shift a lot of people. And I think it's already happened. Obviously, in the Bitcoin community, it, it has happened. And I think that's tremendously beneficial. Um, let's, let's wrap it up with this. I, uh, a lot of people that aren't prepared for the Bitcoin train, even though after listening to this, I'd be surprised if more people aren't interested in hopping on board. Um, for those, I, I think you guys share my opinion that real estate is very tenuous, just given the fact that it's so predicated on interest rate risk. And we haven't mm -hmm. really seen any shakeout in the real estate market, given how elevated interest rates have been for the past year. Um, so I think people should and will be cautious if they've been listening to me. They already know. Uh, I think that the real question is, you know, if they go QE infinity, as Greg was saying, is is there any chance? I mean, it, say Russia and China, they do a basket to you know create their competing you know, uh, bipolar world order uh, uh, currency for their region. And they, they put in it a basket of, say, gold and silver. It, is there, has, has Bitcoin fully absorbed or do you guys still see any upside to hedging for inflation in either, you know, either precious metal? 
I know you guys don't think about it all that often. I, I actually Bitcoin, do. But, I actually okay. think of. Okay. I, I actually think of it, and uh, so I own both. I own. I own all three. Uh, you Me know, too. I own all four because uh, real estate. I I own more than one real estate property. Yeah, I own. I own many. gold. <laughs> I hate it. I own gold stocks. I own silver, and I own Bitcoin. Okay, and those are my hard assets that I believe strongly in. I just believe that Bitcoin is the best horse at the race. Now, yep. I do have some pretty heated talks with full-on Bitcoiners that are like, "Why are you diversifying? Like, why aren't you just a hundred percent in Bitcoin?" And and no disrespect to the people I'm having the arguments with, but I just have never managed risk that way in my life. Like, and 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 the most important thing is that you don't have to have a huge allocation to Bitcoin to participate in its upside and it'll still be life-changing, right? Because a 5% allocation, and I'm much higher than 5%, but I just argue to people that are on zero, get on 5%. If you own zero, that's the wrong allocation. Right. Get yourself up to 5% to start. And you know what happens, Clint? You get people up to 5% and it's like they forget the other 95% for their portfolio that they own. And they're only focused on this 5% and, oh my God, it's going up and down and they can't sleep <laughs> at night. And, oh, okay. You got to learn to, you know, lower your time preference, et cetera. But right. anyway, I'm at more than 5%, but less than a hundred percent. Okay. So FOSS is somewhere in between. What if it goes up a hundredfold? My God, nothing else matters because you're you're twenty percent. You're ninety nine point nine percent. It's ninety nine point nine percent now. Bitcoin, okay. Yeah. And again, it's it's like this is how you manage risk is 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 with these asymmetric return opportunities. So I'm uh, not a gold bug, but I own gold. I'm not a silver bug, but I own silver. What I don't own is fixed income. And I spent thirty years trading fixed income. Okay, I am absolutely you and me both, brother. Okay. That is the worst investment there is because fiat or excuse me, fixed income or bonds are a fiat obligation and being a fiat obligation, they debase with the currency. Okay. That's very pure and simple. Yep. So can you trade fixed income? Cause you think you're a, a trading jockey? Sure. But don't own a 30 year U S treasury bond. That's absolute way to lose all of your purchasing power over 30 years. So those are the four hard assets that I own. Uh, I'm, you know, sensitive to people who say you're an idiot Foss because, you know, Bitcoin's going to outrun the whole thing. Well, there's times when I just say, you know what, my gold is held in there pretty well and Bitcoin shit the bed. I'll take some of my gold and I'll move it into Bitcoin there and then go. vice versa. So that's how yeah. I manage that. Well, I've, yeah. I've got five houses I'm about to <clears throat> liquidate over the next 45 or 60 days. I've been building them for the past five fucking years. So I am Ooh. thrilled thrilled to be able to, to diversify that. yeah, yeah th to diversify more into bitcoin and other things i don't know what the hell i'm going to do i might buy a primary residence uh but i i got to think about that long and hard anyways uh any closing thoughts guy and uh um, we'll, we'll look at well, it i'll just say on the gold and silver thing real quick um is i'm less confident in silver but when things get really really bad people go to tradition people really pull back to what they their safe haven. They don't. Yep. They don't pick a new safe haven and find a new risk. They go, they're going to go back to gold. I think there will be a large flow back to gold. The thing is, is that I think the flow into Bitcoin will. I think there will be people who exit gold to Bitcoin at the same time. Like, I, I think what is happening in Bitcoin will it will take longer. I think we are we are still in a heavy part 
of this in like kind of a, a robust area of this curve. And, you know, there's a great piece by uh, it was Alex Svetsky, I think I read on the show called the three generations theory. And um, by, by the way, my the, I interviewed Svetsky yesterday and I will be no kidding. So two days from now. So, oh, nice. And he was nice. on Cafe. Y'all Bitcoin. talk about that, was, I guess. He was on Cafe uh, yeah. Bitcoin today yeah. on Spaces on Cafe Bitcoin guy. And he was talking about his. Uh, yeah, his new nice. writing. Yeah, Very yeah, nice. Yeah. But I love that idea of like this is a 60 year timeline, you know, like like to see this to real hyper Bitcoinization, um, which is the dominant like like where people think of it as as in the exact same vein as gold, just technologically vastly superior, like in every other way as transaction, as programmability right. as like all of that stuff. And where everybody just thinks of Bitcoin as the default, like there, there was never a world without Bitcoin for everybody who exists in the world. Um, and uh, that'll be with, wild. Yeah. Um, I think, I think we are going there. Um, but I've, I've already kind of been through enough cycles that I did that you know, 20% allocation that became 99.999%. And hell yeah, you know, dude. <laughs> like, I just was like, why am I shot, holding bro? on to, why am I holding on to this last little percentage? Just dump this <laughs> shit into Bitcoin. So, um, I think I have a gold bar. I, th I think, um, in my little safe. That's how you know field. you're balling when you're not sure you have a gold bar. <laughs> but, but, uh, that's, that's it. Can I add, and I know we're wrapping up here, Clint, yeah, you yeah, said please. if, if QE infinity, no, it's a hundred percent certain <laughs> QE infinity. Okay. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. <laughs> QE infinity is the only solution or else the fiat system collapses. So if you don't want the fiat system to collapse, you have to acknowledge that QE infinity is the only solution, which means dollar debasement, all other fiats debase alongside at an accelerated rate compared to the US dollar but there's no if QE infinity if not QE infinity kaboom the right. the fiat world has blown up and you probably want bitcoin anyway you just don't want to have it and advertise it to people because they're going to come after you because right. they know you actually have something of value so yeah. you know i want an orderly transformation i don't want these war zones and everything like that QE infinity is the only solution it's grade 11 math Protect yourself, own hard assets. Bitcoin is going to win the race. Guy Swan is a very smart guy that now doesn't even know if he has a gold bar in his safe. And who the fuck cares? It's an ounce. Because... It's a little bullion ounce. I think I, I think <laughs> all right, brother. All right. Anyway, oh, it's just an ounce. All right. All right. Yeah. Thank it's, you oh, so it's much. in a bar. It looks cooler though. Yeah. No, all right, it's it's a little. Yeah. I've seen those things. I've seen those. Uh... Well, I'll tell you guys this. Uh, yeah, I got like have... a brick. I got a gold brick. Just yeah. Well, that's that's what I thought. That's what I thought you meant. And you're like, you're like, I I may or may not have one of those laying around somewhere. I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> I got I got a bunch of uh, you know silver rounds, and I'm telling you, just if no one's ever, if you've never held one, I'm not saying you guys. I'm sure you have, but if our audience hasn't ever held one, you got to check it out. It's like it only costs like thirty bucks, and these things are fucking gorgeous. It it oh, like yeah. it makes it brings you back to the days of like money actually having some sort of intrinsic value that you can actually relate to as opposed to this piece of paper that means nothing. Um, but anyways, it, this has been enlightening as always. I really appreciate it, guys. If you're watching right now, please hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the comment uh, to help with the algos and make sure you guys go support these gentlemen. Go ahead and tell people where they can follow you. We'll start with Guy. Yeah, man. Um, dude, thanks for having me. It's, it's been yeah, good dude. hanging out. And if you've got a minute afterward, I want to talk to you about the, the poker thing. I wanted to ask a question. Oh, about yeah, that. yeah. Sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you can follow me the guy swan on, uh, Twitter. 
and I'm the guy. So I think you can just search me for that on Noster as well on like any of the clients. Um, uh, Dude, I've been and- binging Bitcoin Audible for the past couple months because I'm just like, I'm going to fucking catch up. I'm going to nice. fucking catch nice. up. And I'm like, I Love feel like I'm, I'm getting it a lot better now. So thank you. Yeah. You've been a huge asset to me. Hell yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. And obviously Bitcoin Audible, the show. Um, uh, that's the podcast. And I'll have another episode out in the next 30 minutes or an hour. I didn't get it published just before I got on this. So. Oh, nice. Every day. Uh, Greg, go ahead and tell people. Yeah. So thanks. Yeah. Also, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Learn a lot from Guy all the time. And uh, Clint, it's great to meet you. I like your style. Um, Thank you. Yeah. I'm a 60 year old guy. It's just figuring out Twitter. So that's my primary uh, uh, platform. It's at Foss, Greg Foss. So F-O-S-S-G-R-E-G-F-O-S-S. Um, and I do have a Noster key, but, uh, look guys, I'm, uh, I don't go there often because again, I'm just figuring out how to use my friggin' iPhone. Okay. Like I'm not <laughs> used to this stuff. So I, uh, I, I, I'm primarily on Twitter. Um, I'm a part of a, uh, a looking glass education. I want to give a shout out to that. That's a public, uh, uh, free education on the financial system, lookingglasseducation.com. Uh, a couple of young kids that run that uh, as partners, one based in uh, British Columbia, Canada. His name is Seb Bunny. And then another kid in um, Western Australia. His name is Daz Behan. But Looking Glass Education is the organization that's funding and part, uh, he- helping the education system in El Salvador based on a great lady named Dahlia Platt who lives just in your neck of the woods in Boca Raton, Florida. But she, I heard a great thing. Sorry to keep, keep rambling. Some guy who's from Latin America goes, and then eventually I moved to the capital of Latin America and I go, Oh yeah, what's that? And he goes, Miami. So, (laughs) you know, here here you go. You got uh, all these talented people working on looking glass education of which I'm just uh, so happy to be part of. Uh, because we're trying to help the world understand the importance of Bitcoin and financial responsibility in a world of fiat money printing gone absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. And that costs our children their future. And I feel absolutely sick to my stomach that selfish old white fucks like me are robbing the future of the kids because we're too greedy and too soft to actually pay our bills. Okay. So Greg Foss, Send hate mail to Guy Swan, Greg Swan, Greg Foss <laughs> signing off from uh, from Canada here, guys. Thank you and for having me. Let me give a closing comment here. You know, I talk a, a lot about uh, financial malfeasance and danger on my show, but let me just encourage my audience right now. If you are watching this, if you've watched this entire hour and a half, you are a unique human being that has access to information that very few people do. And I, I came out of college right into the teeth of the, the Great uh, Recession. And because of my understanding of economics, I was able to benefit tremendously in the real estate market by acquiring as much as I could get my fucking hands on in 2010, 11, and, and all the way through 14. And then I started to liquidate over time. Um, but basically, even through one of the hardest economic times, I was able to go from poor to retired in like 10, 15 years. So uh, you guys have that same capacity. And I just want to imbue in you some confidence and faith that you will find a way through. Do not let the uh, the dire news that I talk about so often get you down and stay on that grind. We're out of here, folks. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come?